Okay, so we're, um, yeah, this is Kaimabon, and uh, we're standing in what's now my favorite part of the land, actually, um, which until about um, five or six years ago was completely overrun with brambles, so I never knew what was here. And uh, eventually I decided to um, tackle the brambles and gradually reveal this beautiful place, which I've since, um, you know, tweaked. So built this little terrace here. There's a fire circle here. There's a little mini fairy fort up there. There's a statue of, or a, a sculpture of a reclining pregnant goddess up there. Long, thin island there, which we call Pepper Island. And then this is the tree house, which we built about three or four years ago. And I'm um, going to do a bit of, uh, hopefully doing a bit of improvements on it in the next couple of weeks. Um, but that's supported by five trees, I think, altogether. And uh, it's a great spot. I love it. I stay there in the summer myself sometimes. And then um, it's interesting what's happened with, with, with lockdown is that, you know, we've, we've had... Um, Obviously, we were closed for 20 weeks last year, um, and then when we reopened, sometimes the groups were smaller, but we were continuing to get requests for people to come and stay. Sometimes just small groups wanted to come and stay. So the thought arose that we could perhaps let out the lower part of the of Kaimabon to the, to the slightly smaller groups, and then we could use this cabin here, which we call the top cabin, and the tree house, as self-contained accommodation but they, there was no facilities that they, they needed a kitchen so we started this just last week this is a reciprocal frame roof structure um, which is going to be all being well a, a, a kitchen and the shower just there so in other words we will be able to and there's a little dunny over there so we'll have a, a self-contained space here for up to half a dozen people and they can have the use of this what I call the Riverside Arena here and then we could also have a separate group down there at the same time so um, this this we we uh, this we've got a we've got a, a couple of other reciprocal this is a reciprocal frame roof structure we've we've done this is the third one we've done here now and uh, we had the help of um, Jack Everett, known as Bamboo Jack, and his sons. Do you know him? No, he's he's down in um, uh, outside Stroud. So he came up with the, his two sons and one of their friends, and they helped us to. Uh, well, they did a lot of the work actually building this last week. Uh, Larch poles mostly um, from the local area. We're going to do cob walls and and um, yeah. Uh, stained glass windows hopefully and all of that so that's that's just literally started last week that's about that represents about three or four days work putting all that out. and we had to extend the terrace there so that's the that's the current um situation eric yeah. could i ask you about your inspiration to build the tree house here was it a case of selecting the right trees to put it into yeah well obviously you do have to have the right trees um and um, we didn't have one tree that would have would work, so we, we discovered that, um, or I'd realised that we could use these three, these well, five trees in fact, one willow and three alder. So I'm not sure how long-term durable they will be, but hopefully they'll last another, you know, <laughs> few more decades. Um, but uh, yeah, 
So the spacing of the trees dictates the size of a tree house, and why did you decide on the type of roof and the shingles? Well, the um, interestingly, the, the, the roof design is, is dictated by... Um, a, there was a branch coming off that ash tree there that, that was leaning over like that, right over the, 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 the cabin, in a way that made it sort of somewhat dangerous so we we cut it down and it turned out that from that branch we could get the front piece there and the back piece and they both had these kind of natural curves to them. so that's what gave the shape of the roof and um uh, well i don't know we, it, actually without the when you take the the canvas windows off you can see that it looks a bit like a fake uh with two eyes and so the shingles are kind of a bit like it's a bit like an owl, so the shingles are like, like feathers, and um, so that's how we decided to do that. It's it's still unfinished, as a lot of things tend to be, but um, as I say, we're hoping I'm hoping we can do some more work on it this next. And does it have a kitchen inside? No, 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 no. There's no. There's only. It's all it has is a bed, a double bed, and a, and a table. For um, so it's for a couple, no more. Yeah. Well, we've had families staying in there. Um, extra couple of mattresses on the floor, you know, you can get a family in there. It's not enclosed at the outside end, at the far end, so you've got to, it's got to be reasonable weather really to stay in there. Um, but um, no, it's just a, basically a, a double bed and a, and a table. That's why we have to build a kitchen here to make, to, so that we've got facilities for people, you know. Excellent. I'll stop that. Well, uh, people used to come here and, and say, oh, it's like, it's like uh, Lord of the Rings, you know. And um, so we thought we'd make it a bit more like Lord of the Rings. So we, we built this little, what we call the Hobbit hut. And um, actually, this is also a reciprocal frame roof structure, but we used um, oak holes from the woods around here which turn out not to be very straight so it's quite a gnarly thing inside um, and straw bales on their sides on the edges and um, yeah and then and then when we were doing the door at that time uh, Keith Matthews was living here uh, who's a very good uh, woodworker and carver and carpenter and so on so um, we decided that we would do a round door like Bilbo Baggins's door in in the uh, film so um, we, you know, we, we looked at the film and stopped it. There's, it's actually a very brief flash where you see his door. So you freeze it on that frame and see what they did. So anyway, this is based on the, the, the Hobbit hut door in the film of Lord of the Rings. Um, and it's just a little, yeah, little cabin really. There's a double bed and a single bed in there. And yeah, it's very cozy. And it's quite, yeah, it's got quite a nice feel about it. How long did it take to build? Well, um, actually, when we were doing it, I thought, right, the challenge I set myself was we would build it in two weeks, which we did, um, although, of course, there were the finishing things to do, like, you know, the putting the turf on the roof and doing the windows and doors and so on. They didn't get done in the first two weeks, but the actual main structure and the walls were done in two weeks. So that was, that was quite a, possibly the fastest building we've done here, pretty much. And how did you build the walls? Well, they're made of straw bales, so you have to... Well, in fact, in this case, I think we used sleepers as the kind of foundation, which normally we wouldn't do. You'd use a low stone wall, but we would... Because we were trying to do it fast, we cut corners a bit, so sleepers at the, at the bottom, and then a couple of um, straw bales on their sides, 
uh, on top of each other, and then um, a, a lime render on it. I, th I don't think we use cob on this one. We've used cob on others, but this was a, a lime render on the straw bales, and um, so that's that's uh, that was how we did it. And, and as a, again, it's a reciprocal frame roof where the rafters rest on each other. I think in this case, there's more like although there's eight. No, it's hexagonal. It's hexagonal, but I think. I'm not sure how we did it now. I think that if you went inside, you'd see there's probably more like a dozen rafters. Um, and as I say, they're all a little bit gnarly and, and twisted. So I guess that makes them a bit more Hobbit-like, really. How much would you say it costs to build? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, in, it, this would have been one at, at the cheaper end. But, you know, that's in, bearing in mind that we often have a volunteer labour to do these things. So you don't... You know, the, the, I would have paid Keith for the door and maybe someone else for the other window. But, um, I mean, it used to be, I think, I think that the, the, the um, buildings cost around a couple of grand to build. But, um, you know, it, it can be anything from two to ten thousand pounds to build a building, you know. Um, we've the, in, in recent years, we've actually done a couple of... Um, um, prefab buildings you know that we've been bought in 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 pieces and then assembled and of course they go up more quickly still got to do the groundwork the ter you know the build that build the foundations and everything which can be quite a big job but um they go up more quickly um and and then you've got to finish them off of course but um you know they don't they cost more than two grand you know and how long do you intend for them to stand for how long do you think it will still be okay well, I don't know. I mean, I think it should last a long, you know, quite a long time, really. Um, there's no sign of this one. I mean, obviously, there's with these with these low impact buildings, they're, they're low impact but high maintenance. So you've got to attend to, you know, whether plaster breaks off or whatever. You know, you need to you need to repair them. The front here, this fascia board that fell down, uh, you know, two or three years ago. So the one that you see now is different from the one that was there when you first took pictures of it because it it, it 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 rotted away and had to be replaced so so yeah um that's that's one of the phrases uh, uh, that jack bamboo jack uses as low 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 impact high maintenance you know so and you know perhaps they won't last like a stone building might last hundreds of years these might last you know a hundred years if you're lucky you know yeah perfect thank you very much eric or iron age roundhouse the kind of dwelling that people lived in for 3,000 years before the coming of the Romans. Around here, there's on the on the maps, you OS maps, you'll see hut circles marked, and usually they're a, a ring of fallen stone overgrown with brambles and bracken. So this is what they would have been like. Wouldn't have. Yeah. Had, oh, hello. We're just having a little interview here. <laughs> come in, come in. Um, yeah. When so did we, you build? We can stand out here. Okay. Um, I remember it was here in 2005. It was the first building I built. Yeah. So, um, but it it burnt down in um, uh, 2002, and so we had to rebuild it, um, which involved um, well, we we raised the stone, the wall a bit. We put a the it had been just an earth floor, so we put a slate slab floor in, and we raised the roof by a, a, a course and. Um, Put a new roof on, obviously after the old one had been burnt down. But um, 
So yeah, originally it was it was I think it was completed in nineteen ninety four, ninety four I think, yeah, and then um, and then it burnt down in two thousand and two. So it was there for seven years, here for seven years, and then we rebuilt it, and now it's been you know now nineteen years. So, but probably next year we're going to re re thatch it because it's uh, in certain places the thatch is worn thin. I mean the, these not ideal situation for thatch because it's very damp obviously and it's over you know there's trees overhanging it and so on uh, so we're going to see if we can do a, a, a and also this has turned out to be a little bit smoky in here it's quite tricky to to manage the fire um, so we're going to redo it um, and make various improvements um, so that's that's what we're working on that's what we will be doing hopefully next year but um, it's it's a very kind of ancestral building in the sense of you know there's not many places you can sit inside around a fire. I have a circle around a fire, and um, and so it's a great place for for gathering for 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 you know passing around the talking stick and having a sharing circle and of course for telling stories and singing songs and. Uh, poetry and all of that so we have a lot of very we've had hun probably hundreds actually of, of amazing evenings here um, what kind of stories well storytelling is it, it, it's it's obviously it's a it's one of the oldest art forms really and um, the kinds of stories that people tend to tell those you know who think of themselves as storytellers are, are, are the traditional Myths, legends, and folk tales that have been told for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Um, which, and I, I personally t tend to focus on the stories that are well, not just, but I, I have, I've had specialised in the stories which are from around here. Um, um, I wrote a book of five years ago, six years ago, called Snowdonia Folk Tales. It's not just about folk tales, but you know, it's that the stories of this area, basically. And it's my view that the, the Snowdonia is, the, you know, possibly the most mythically rich part of Britain in terms of the old tales, you know. So are the tales mythical? Are they fantastical? What, what, what's the basis for the, the tales? <laughs> it's hard to tell you in a nutshell because, you know, they're, they're without telling you the full story. But, you know, they're based on, on the lives of the deities or demigods, you know, um, Math, son of Mathonwi, is the one of the key figures in the fourth branch of the Mabinogion, which was which was uh, written down in the 12th, 13th century, but it's based on stories from pre-Roman times. So, you know, he would have probably been an old druid. He's regarded as a magician, and um, his name means bear, son of bear-like, which is the same root as the, the name Arthur. So he's actually the the precursor to Arthur, and his story has got some echoes in it the late, the, of the later Arthur stories. Um, and uh, and there's the stories of Merlin. You know, Merlin made his first appearance on the global stage just across the mountain from here, and that's quite a well-known story. So, and then there's the story of Taliesin, who's the who's the inspired bard, um, and how he came to be born. It's a you know, he, it's quite an extraordinary sort of tale of transformations and and the creation of these three drops of, of inspiration and so on so 
And also the stories of Mabon, uh, of, after whom this place is named, Mabon, son of Modron, the great son of the great mother. So, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of... Modron is like the, 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 the earth goddess of, 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 of Wales, really, of, of Cymru. And um, so th that's, those are the kinds of stories. I mean, I also tell wonder tales and folk tales and all sorts of other things like that. But, you know, those are the stories that have particularly appealed to me because they, 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 they spring from this landscape, you know, and they... Um, so they, they therefore help you to connect with the ancestors and the spirits and the, and the dreaming of this land, you know. I mean, when I was in Australia and working with Aboriginal people, I, I was, um, I suppose, inspired to kind of find out what my version of the dreaming would be. They, they have this notion of the dreaming which connects landscape with story with ancestors and with spirit you know and and i and i and they felt that we white fellas in australia had no dreaming we'd lost it we were we were we were like you know a tumbleweed we we had no roots and and i was keen to find out what they might be for me and so that's what i've been doing really for the last 35 years which is how long i've been here now um, and, uh, and and I feel like I have made, you know, I've found quite a lot that satisfied that quest. Brilliant, Eric. Thank you so much. About the thatch, where did you source it from? Is it all locally sourced from material? No. Um, when we were the first roundhouse, we did cut some thatch from Anglesey, but it was quite hard work because it hadn't been cut before, and so you're cutting years of growth, and you, it takes a lot of effort just to get a small amount. So we ended up buying the thatch from uh, the Tayside in Scotland, where they've got acres, thousands of acres of reed beds. When it was burnt down, we weren't able to get thatch from there, and so this thatch, actually, if I remember right, it came from Hungary. They've got, they've got, you know, lots of, you know, again, they've got many thousands of acres of reed beds there. So this had been imported. So when we come to do it again, who knows? Well, I'm not sure where the thatch will come from next time. And how much? Could you save this cost to build? Sorry to ask. <laughs> well, um, I, you know, I mean, it's it, it, the main cost is really the the, the thatch, and um, you know what? I can't even remember what the figures were. I mean, let's say a thousand pounds worth of thatch, possibly not quite that much, possibly more. Um, and and there have been times when I've paid people to come and help me the stone wall to build the build the wall. Um, might have had to pay a bit for the for the rafters, a couple of hundred pounds. I mean, you know, again, this this is probably would have been a couple of thousand pounds in the in the, in the first instance. And why does it get so blackened? Well, because of the smoke. The smoke uh, in the first roundhouse, the thatch was a bit looser, and the and the smoke would would filter out through the thatch and you could stand at a distance and see the, the thatch smoking which was rather nice when we did this one we made but the problem with that was when there was a strong wind the rafters would flex and the thatch would slip out so I was constantly going around with a legget and thwacking the thatch up and tightening up again so we didn't want that to happen again so this one this time we did it tighter but it turned out to be less permeable to smoke so we've put a smoke hole in the top, but even now we've got to be very careful with the wood that we use and it can
can sometimes get a bit you know smoky in there which isn't pleasant for the eyes so so um, but also that's where it black that's why it blackens because there's all that you know now now 19 years worth of smoke you know it's wonderful thank mm. you so much Eric